Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Hey, Peter. Welcome back to another episode of Leaders Coaching Leaders. Hey, it's good to see you too, Tanya. Yeah. So, you know, before this episode, as I was thinking about the guests we were having on today, I I had to take, I had a real moment of awe when I thought about what it takes to lead a district or a system that has tens of thousands of students in it. And what an awesome responsibility that is. Um, And how important it is for leaders who are embarking on that work to hear from people who have done it successfully. So. That's something that I, I that made me really excited about the guests that are going to be on our show today. Yeah, so we have Chris Steinhauser, who was, you know, he was the superintendent of Long Beach Unified School District for 19 years, and they have 70, over 70,000 students. Um, and yeah, yeah, that is, that is a little mind-blowing when you think about that. And then we, you know, we have Jay Westover, who is also his co-author, but he's the co-founder and uh, chief learning officer for Innovative Ed. Um, and they they have this book, Schools on the Move. And this conversation, <coughs> excuse me, is not only, it's not only about the book. I mean, I think that's important to be able to talk about what does yeah. your book offer, but it was also just some really practical insight into not only do how, how school leaders and teachers are, should be doing work or should be operating, but it was really about also acknowledging the high level of burnout that people are feeling. Um, And the idea of, you know, how do you get people to be a part of a school team when they're burned out and they don't want to take on anymore? And you've got principals that are losing teachers and they've got unfilled positions. And we got into that stuff because I feel like it's important for us to be real with those conversations. And and Chris and Jay certainly did a really good job of, of answering those questions. Yeah, I completely agree. So without further ado, listeners, enjoy the session. Hey, Chris and Jay, welcome to the uh, Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast. Nice Thank to you. See you. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It's good to see you both. Congratulations on the book, Schools on the Move. Um, Chris, can you talk to me a little bit about where that came from? Well, it actually came from Jay. So uh, during the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, I had just retired. Jay contacted me because I've known him for a long, long time and Ask if I would be interested in writing this book with him, uh, documenting some of the work that we did in Long Beach that he's done. So, yeah, Jay, uh, give me some give me some follow up on that since yeah, the idea came directly from you. I think Chris is being a little bit too kind. So, you know, Long Beach is recognized as probably one of the most successful districts that we know in the United States, and I've always uh, appreciated what he's done as a superintendent. So we understood school improvement, district improvements, but um, Chris uh, coming on board and writing the book really added a lot of layers to it because it went from, we know how to do this work to here's how this work actually looks like in action. So I don't think the book would have been what it is now if it wasn't for Chris and the work in Long Beach. Well, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, you're both still talking after the book, so that's that's a good thing. So so that's nice. You know, I think you raise a good point, Jay and Chris. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you're up. You know, one of the issues is people read a book and say, "Well, well, how are we supposed to do this?" 
And that's something that you're offering. And I, I don't want to make this question about the just about the book either. I actually want to make it about the fact that, you know, over the past couple of years, when we work with school leaders or teachers, they're looking at it, but they're just saying, you know, how do we do this back at our, our school? So can you give some examples about what you focused on just so people know the topics that you were looking at and what to do about it? So just a couple of examples of what you focused on in the book. Yeah, so, you know, the the work, the writing the book was a great um, experience because it really helped to bring, um, for me, the experience that we had over the last 20 plus years in Long Beach, uh, developing a coherent system. And, you know, you always have new stakeholders, new, new kids, new teachers, new parents. And so it's really important to, to focus on those key drivers of, you know, having a clarity of focus, continuous improvement, shared leadership. And what does that mean? What does it mean to um, lead from the middle? What does it mean when you say what is good and, and, and what does it look like? And it's an ongoing process. And I think that's one of the things that leaders, um, a lot of people want easy fixes, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there is no easy fix in our, in our system. But it, when you develop a system that focuses on all those key drivers and really takes leading from the middle seriously and looking at data and communicating and accountability, it's, it's so rewarding to see what can happen. Yeah. So in this podcast, you know, this is season three. And one of the things that Tanya and I have really tried to do for this season is develop more of a common language and a common understanding, because I think sometimes we we drop words in education and we we kind of make an assumption, right, that everybody knows what, what the words mean. So when you say shared leadership, and maybe I'll go to Jay with this one, because Chris, you called him the brains of the operation. So uh, um, Jay, I'm going to go to you on this one. When we talk about shared leadership, could you talk a little bit about what that means? Because I think that's something that might mean different things to different people. Yeah, I think the way we approach it is, you could say from a layered aspect, um, we know in a school system that district team, whether it be cabinet or extended cabinet, has to really have a collective understanding of the improvement process, how they engage the schools. But then a lot of times that relationship between the principal and the uh, school district is not tethered enough or strong enough. So there's gotta be that shared leadership between those district leaders and principals. So they see they're moving not only their school, but the system forward. Then the principal has to develop an exceptionally strong school leadership team, you know, more distributed leadership and structure. And ultimately it has to impact teacher teams or PLCs. So we've always thought of it as like a ladder. You, you go from the student to the PLC or teacher team, the school leadership team, the principals up to the district. And when we say shared leadership, we look across the whole system. And a lot of times we'll try to identify where there's a fraying or there's not a strong enough collaborative learning or co-leading, co-learning stance. So the book was really written to say all schools should be on the move, but the system has to be positioned from a shared leadership standpoint so that all schools can be successful and they can't be in isolation. Yeah. So Chris, you have, I mean, you have a lot of experience, you know, your bio is, is huge and uh, you've been in education for a long time, superintendent, uh, if I read correctly, your school district was over 70,000 students, right? right. Um, so right now, one of the things that I think school leaders are having an issue, where, uh, an issue with, besides actually finding teachers to hire, sometimes when you're working in schools, right, they're having a very difficult time um, filling positions. But it almost seems, it, it's also, it doesn't seem, it really is, 
that teachers are exhausted. There's a high level of burnout on the part of teachers and school leaders. So how do you get somebody, how do you suggest to school leaders some ways to get people to be a part of a team when teachers are just kind of saying, no mas, uh, you know, no more, we, we were burned out. You know, that's a great question. Uh, I'm working with a school system right now that, um, uh, and it's a great system. They were doing great things before COVID. Of course, then COVID hit um, and it kind of paralyzed them a little bit to be really honest with you. So how do you step back into that deep end of the pool? And, and we started learning rounds. And so we actually, and this was a great system where they, they wanted to do it, um, but they were, you know, apprehensive. And so what they actually did is teachers led the first charge. So we, we helped teachers understand what a learning round was about, what a look at their problems of practice, but they didn't include their administrator. And I have to give their administrator credit because they had to be, provide the structure and culture there to, to let it go forward. This particular school now, every single staff member, and there's about 20 of them, have either been a host or an observer in a learning round. They've done about four of them, but it's that, you know, supporting them, leading from the middle, and they've seen unbelievable movement in student achievement in a very short period of time, but it's just providing those structures and that support there that, you know, to be that coach on the side, so to speak. Yeah, I like what you're saying there too, because once again, back to the common language and common understanding, when you talk about the whole staff understanding learning rounds, that's a key element that not everybody does. I mean, I've worked with principals that want to engage in walkthroughs, but they've never worked with their staff on what walkthroughs are, or what to look for when they're doing walkthroughs. One of the issues, Jay, that actually, you know, it's always been around, let's face it, but it's something that really came to the surface during COVID, during COVID was that of, of equity and student equity issues. So how does your work in this book in particular help educators overcoming overcome that prevailing um, student equity issue? Yeah, I, I think our work has always been focused on, you know, we just usually call it a school implementation plan. So if you can imagine, we ask schools to author one page they have to have a clear focus with priorities that as equity, you know, at the forefront. And then they have to talk about student success indicators, instructional strategies, how they'll use collaboration, you know, productively, how they'll formatively assess learning. And then we ask them to do that in like a six week inquiry cycle. So I think most schools will understand there's an equity issue but they very rarely unwrap that and like peel the onion. So the work that we've always done and promoted is you have to peel back the layers, but the layers require you to do inquiry cycles. And every time you complete one, you learn something new. So I, I agree with you, Peter, that, you know, equity sometimes is just a buzzword, but we try to make equity become more of a continuous improvement, collaborative inquiry driven cycle where they discover the equity issues through their work, and then they're like hopefully empowered um, to attend to them in a productive manner. Yeah, I heard, um, I was listening to uh, a researcher, author, Yemi Stembridge the other day, and he was talking about checkwity. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good term. I wanna make sure I gave him uh, credit for, for at least using that word. Um, what can school and district leaders do now to navigate a coherent path of progress for sustainable improvement. Chris, what, you know, I know you were talking about coherence before. Yeah, I'll give a great example. I'm working with a big high school here in Southern California and in the system itself put in a policy that 
no F could be lower than 50%. I mean, that was huge, you know, and that, and that part that came out of the, the pandemic. But as you can imagine, um, policies don't always get down into every classroom and, and so on. So when through the collaborative process that Jay was explaining, this particular high school with their school leadership team, they were really struggling um, with uh, coherence and, and alignment. So we actually did um, student empathy interviews and it came from the students that said, if you are truly about equity, then why isn't that not everyone gives common assessments or allows retakes or the grading? So this particular school has then come up with three non-negotiables for next year that they're all gonna do. Everyone will give a retake and you can get at least a B or better. Everyone will have common assessments and they're gonna have great common grading criteria. That's huge, huge. But that came through this process of collaboration, listening to student voice and, and, and about the inequities that they experience. Yeah, it's nice. I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, empathy interviews. I see that as a growing trend. It reminds me, like I know uh, Russell Bishop in Australia, it does a lot of work on empathy. He doesn't call them empathy interviews, but with marginalized populations. And I see that actually finally as a trend that's kind of coming through the United States and it kind of intersects with Russ Qualia's work on student voice as well. And I just think that's it's so excellent, and yet at the same time, it's common sense. So it's a little sad that we're like, "Hey, let's talk to the students about about what they're learning and you know and all that stuff." Um, Jay, I want to ask you a question. You know, you you know, I know that uh, Chris was giving you a lot of credit where where all this is concerned, but from an educational standpoint, and from something listeners want to be able to understand too, what's like? What was the greatest lesson you learned from Chris when you started to work with him? Um, leadership matters. And, you know, when you look at Chris as a superintendent, you know, he's the type of superintendent was extremely involved in his work. Didn't get in the way and what highly engaged in the work and not get in the way of the work. And so, and he was an equity warrior. So what I learned from Chris is that, um, you have to really be intentional and focused on equity and you have to empower and help people be successful, but you have to be extremely involved. So you're knowing where things are going and you know how to provide support and resources, you know, at, at a minute's notice. And I just, I just recognize it from the principal level up that, you know, people don't get that push pull right most of the time. Mm -hmm. And Chris was very balanced, I thought, in his approach. So uh, I wish we had more superintendents like him. Chris, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Um, what is the hardest part you see? Like, because you have all this experience and and you're doing this work in schools and everything else, what is the what is the barrier you see to actually doing this work that you're suggesting? You know, it's it's that's a great question because. Um, you know, I served as 18 years as a superintendent and 39 in the system and obviously, you know, many jobs in between. And I think sometimes people want easy fixes. Mm -hmm. They want the shiny apple tomorrow. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, pushes out there. So for example, from the boards, from your community, from your business people, and it takes a lot of work for people to understand that this, you got to go slow to go fast mm -hmm. and you have to celebrate those wins along the way. And, 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 developing that culture that everyone's gonna to work together for this great outcome. Mm 
And sometimes people don't want to put the, the, um, the energy in that because there's a lot of energy up front that you've got to put in to, yeah. to get those outcomes. And you may not see some gains, you know, for the first year or two years, but you got to stick with it. And, but if you believe in continuous improvement, that's the beauty of looking at data, both hard data, soft data, I call it street data, you know, from the kids and so on. Um, but it's amazing what can be achieved once you put it together and have faith. Yeah, I like that. I like that street data. That's a that's a that's a really good thing. Good thing to be able to say. Um, what is it you want people to walk away understanding uh, about your book? Like, what's a key takeaway, Jay, that you want people when they're reading the book and when they're doing this work? What's a key takeaway that you want them to have? Yeah, I, I think I'll go from a very simple answer, Peter. So, you know, Chris mentioned it in the beginning. We believe that collaborative inquiry is the core driver of the work. We have to deeply understand how that's a process for co-leading and co-learning and what it looks like and how to, how to engage in it. But then clarity of focus is essential. We have to know where we're going, how we're going to get there. We have to have that shared leadership in place that's going to be effective and productive. From an instructional standpoint, we have to understand pedagogy. We have to understand instructional coherence. And then we have to understand those cycles of improvement so I think the book was written to, you know, engage the school level and really understanding where they are now and where they have to build strength. And also a tool for district leaders to look across all their schools, understand systemically where there might be an issue that they have caused, but then also look at individual schools to figure out how to best support them. So we try to do a balance of, you know, all schools should be on the move, but yet a district should be more capable of understanding the improvement of systems and the, you know, support of individual school sites at the same time. One of the one of the things that you focused on is another one of those those tricky words that that we hear in the field from from people, and that's the whole idea of continuous improvement. Why do you think that continuous improvement sometimes gets a bad rap? I'll take either one of you that might have a, an answer there. So, so Chris, if you can answer that from how you did that inquiry process in yeah, your 9-12 week. I'm laughing because I'll use me as an example because, because we had been doing it for so many years. I had some teachers finally come up to me and say, Chris, can't we just stop? You know, uh, And so I use the analogy. I said, you know, if you remodel your house and you start painting your rooms, you eventually go back to the first room you painted. I go because it's old and it, it just needs to be, you know, freshed. It's the same thing with us. So we have a new group of kids that come in every year. In some cases, some districts have a lot of new teachers. So we have to bring everybody on there. And there's new research. There's new powerful things out there. I mean, use student voice. I didn't use a lot of student voice in the beginning of my career. And I, and I regret that. You know, I always wonder what we could be at, at today if we had done that. And so... So the issue is continuous improvement is like a diet. You know, you always want to, get, you know, you have a workout plan. You want to get better. You want to get stronger. You're looking at that data. And then when you share that with people, they go, I get it. Because, you know, people always want to say, is it done? And I go, it's not done until every single kid is where we want he or she to be. Yeah, I, that's, that, that's a really good analogy. So I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think we all who have been in education for a long time, I think we always look back and wish we did some things differently. And I think that we're trying to, especially during the pandemic, trying to find a more human way to operate as well as a school, right? I mean, things we should have been doing, but but we don't. So this might seem like an odd question uh, as we start to wrap this up, but it's going to be, 
what question do you wish I asked that I didn't in this podcast? I like to, what question yeah. do you wish I asked Jay that I didn't? Well, I'm just gonna extend what, what you asked Chris. Uh, we usually call that improvement cycle, just three, six, nine. And so what I've noticed is everyone will talk about PLCs, but I don't usually see a very strong three to four week inquiry cycle that has impact every three to four weeks. And then I don't see a school leadership team that understands how they're moving the school and about every six weeks, they should be checking in on grade level content teams. How are we improving as a school? How do we adjust? And then I don't always see principals coming together every nine to 12 weeks and saying, how are my, how's my school doing and how are all schools doing in conversation with the, the system leaders? So, you know, I think the question that, that we try to answer is, how do you put in a continuous improvement process in place that really engages strong feedback loops at the teacher team, school leadership team, principal, district leader level? So the system knows where it's going and knows where to attend to uh, problems of practice at any given time. I, I think the challenge, it may not be we don't understand continuous improvements. It might be that we just have never done it well. It's probably what the real problem is. Yeah, that's a that's a that's definitely a great suggestion. I think sometimes district offices, respectfully, but I think sometimes district offices contradict the work that they want the buildings to do. I find that there's a disconnect um, between what they want building leaders to do with their school leadership teams and the message that's given from the district. You know, when building principals go up to district meetings, um, we don't model what we're actually preaching for them to do. Chris. What about you? What's a what's a question that you wish that I asked that I didn't? Well, I, I'm going to build upon what both of you just said because uh, the the question is, how do we build structures and culture to do exactly what we're talking about? Because you're right, sometimes systems aren't supporting the work that need to be done, and Jay's exactly right that we have to have these structures in place. So, how do we build them within the times that we have, and how do we reimagine what we do? And, and more importantly. How do we help every educator to understand that he or she is a leader and that they can lead from the middle and that they can, if they use these tools, they, I mean, they're, they're lifelong and they're going to have a huge impact for the positive and closing the gap. I think that's our greatest challenge. How do we, you know, massive the forces together uh, uh, for the good? Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Chris Steinhauser, Jay Westover. Uh, the, the book is Schools on the Move from Corbin and, uh, Thank you so much for being on the Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate the opportunity. So, Tanya, what do you think? What do you think about the interview? Did I do okay? <laughs> you did okay, <laughs> Peter. You know, I guess. <laughs> no, as always, what a way that we like we keep it in this very friendly and open and safe discussion but gives so much information in a small piece of in a small span of time and one of the things that I took away from that again because there's always so much I take away from these conversations that you have with our guests but you know we have this thread in all of our sessions about defining the terms because mm -hmm. it's really important that people have a common language when they're talking about things yeah. and so in this session really thinking about alignment and continuous improvement and just making sure there's coherence in the system all of those terms that you know revolve around this idea of people collaborating around a shared vision 
how that just becomes more and more and more important, the larger and larger and larger the district is and the more people you have to, to bring together to do this. Mm-hmm. And that it is, it is um, absolutely vital that you have systems in place that can keep the system moving so that, as the author said, as new people are coming in and coming out, you have structures in place to get people onboarded, if you will, because what it means if that's not in place at the end of the day is that children will fall through the cracks, right? Mm -hmm. Students will lose. And so I, I really liked how they talked about the importance of just the glue and the collaboration. Um, and its impact on on our ultimate goal of you know student well-being and achievement. Yeah, and you know I I asked I I'm glad this season what we're trying to do is just asking about that common language and common understanding. That's been a that's been a bug of mine for for years, yeah. right? When we talk about student engagement or growth mindset, and so when when Chris mentioned continue or when Jay mentioned continuous improvement, I wanted to really ask what does that mean? They certainly they had a great follow-up answer, um, which I think is important. I know that off-air we had a good conversation too, which was why is it that potential school leaders are not learning these things, these important details in in their university uh, training? Um, you know, when we're going back to be in school leaders and we go through the school leadership classes and you know, law and education and everything else, why are we learning these? these practical things either. And I feel like, um, you know, Jay Jay and Chris definitely are offering some tools for people who are new to their position, but also experienced in their position that they may not have gotten when they were doing their actual original uh, university training. Um, So I think that's important too, because it's really practical. It's based in research. um, And just overall, it was a good conversation. I do like that Chris mentioned street data, like that mm. to me was just a, a really nice thing. And I'm glad that he mentioned empathy interviews too, because mm-hmm. like I said, during the podcast, I feel like empathy interviews are on a serious trend. Um, and they're just so important because they're hearing from students and students are talking about what the barriers are to learning. And you know, it does, it reminds me of Russ Qualia's work on student voice that he's been doing for so long. And, yeah. Um, so just really important elements that schools, that school leaders and teachers can look to as well. So no, I enjoyed the conversation very much. Yeah, I mean, hopefully our sessions do act like a course syllabi or or, or something where we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're our own little school of, you know, doing our best to at least introduce listeners to topics that, again, are evidence-based, research-based people who have done the work and done it well. Um, and so always excited to learn with you. And yeah, maybe we can talk, maybe we can now call it GANS uh, Duet University or something. <laughs> we have to figure out how to get accreditation. <laughs> there you go. Well, Peter, Tanya, always yeah. good to see you. Always good to see you too, Peter. Enjoy the rest of your day. You as well. <laughs>